You're listening to My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. Each episode, we look at the topics that can make our working lives difficult and explore how you can take action to improve things. We want to help you move from simply surviving work to thriving at work. My Pocket Psych is brought to you by Work Life Psych, a team of workplace psychologists who are experts in coaching, training, and structured development programs. You can find out more about how we help people grow and develop at work by visiting our website, worklifepsych.com. Hello and welcome to episode number 40 of My Pocket Psych, the podcast all about the psychology of the workplace. I'm Dr. Richard McKinnon. I'm the Managing Director of Work Life Psych, and I'm joined, as nearly always, by my co-host, Pilar Ortiz. Pilar, how are you? I am very well. I love that. Nearly always. <laughs> well, I, I kind of want to be accurate it's because it's not always, but it's nearly always. Yes, yes. And what episode did you say this is? I know, it's 40. I, that's... That's a big number, right? Hurrah. Thank you, listeners. <laughs> <laughs> big thank you to listeners, because we know you're listening, because, because the listenership figures are going up and up, which is one measure of success. But, you know, as we said before we started recording, it's still fun to do. So if it wasn't still fun to do, I don't think I'd do it. So thank you, Pilar, for making this a really fun uh, activity for me to to engage in. It's been really great working with you on 40 episodes. Just. <laughs> Not 40. Just. You've had guests. <laughs> yeah, thank you very much. Well, well, I'm loving it. So great. Let's let's do another 40. Oh no, have I just jinxed it? <laughs> <laughs> oh, I've got some news. No, no, no. Let's keep going. Let's keep going. And before I forget, a, a big thank you to our producer, uh, Ross Winter, who takes these outputs and my instructions and my thoughts and then makes an output that is, you know, more than listenable to. So a uh, big thank you to Ross. Um, and again, thank you to everyone who's come on the show as a guest, as an interviewee. I know that people love to hear different voices, different perspectives, um, different expertise. So um, open call for any of you practitioners, psychologists or HR uh, or L&D practitioners who have something that you really want to share with the audience get in touch. Uh, you can send us a, a quick message on Twitter, uh, mypocketpsych, or send us a, a longer message uh, if you've got more to say via the contact form at worklifepsych.com. So we'd really like to hear what it is you listeners are looking for. Why are you listening? Because more and more of you are. Um, what is it you'd like to see us do more of? What could we maybe do less of? Are there any topics you really want to hear um, over the next 40 episodes? Do get in touch. We, we love to hear from everyone who does. So shall we cover off a bit of news before we get stuck into our main topic? Let's do it. All right. So in terms of productivity, as, well, as ever, we divide our our news and updates against the three themes of productivity, well-being, and effectiveness. The next of our uh, personal development at work meetups is uh, this month. It's on Thursday, the 23rd of May in London. I'll put a link to how you can register for that because while it is a free event, we do need people to register in advance because our hosts that are giving us a space, a really nice space just on the Old Street Roundabout, um, we, we do need to have a list of attendees with them in advance. So I'll pop a link to that in the show notes. The reason I'm mentioning it in productivity news is that we're going to look at how to prioritize. Um, 
you know, a lot of the questions that have come up in recent meetups have led us to, to, to decide this should be the next theme. And we're going to try and take a, a different perspective on this. So previously on the podcast, we've talked about prioritizing the work that comes your way. What I'd really like to do with this session is both cover that, but also help people put everything in context more holistically. So in your life, what are your priorities? the different roles you have. How are you going to spread your your time and your attention among those? And there's a link there with something we talked about at a previous meetup, which is procrastination. Because sometimes we don't want to start one of these projects we have in life because we haven't thought about the practicalities. We haven't made it concrete. We haven't really got into the specifics. And then we find it really hard to make a start on it because we haven't thought about where does it fit in the bigger picture of my life. And I'm sure everybody listening has one of those projects they haven't kicked off yet in their life, even though it sounded like a really good idea at the time. I have the opposite. I thought you were going to say yes. something there. Oh, really? Okay. I have the opposite problem. I've had to learn to not start stuff <laughs> ah. because I always want to start things. And I've had to very consciously learn to not do not start that until you've finished that. Because also, I think it's a form of procrastination for me when I'm struggling through something to think about lots of other stuff that would be more fun. Um, so it mm. sounds really good. I hope I'll be there. Uh, it's on a Thursday, so I can do that date. <laughs> oh, fantastic. So I am hoping fantastic. to be there. Yes, I need to register yet. Yes, and I'll look for your name appearing. I'll get those little updates on, on who's coming. But um, we'll be taking a very, as I say, holistic view on prioritizing what comes at us in life but a proactive approach to that, not just um, receiving work that comes our way, but setting out our own stall for how would I like things to be? How would I place the elements in life in a relative prioritization? So hopefully that will be as interactive as the last one. We were really, really happy about that. And I say we, that's Paul Smith from Wise Amigo. Um, he's the co-founder, co-facilitator at each of these sessions at the meetup. So I'll put a link to that in the notes. Now, Pilar, you mentioned um, something about being interrupted at work, and I thought that would be something really good to share with the listeners. Yes, yeah, so I was, uh, I think I was doing something, maybe I was editing or something, so I was doing quite high-focused work, and I got a work phone uh, phone call, so it came through my work phone. I picked it up, you know, unknown number, but I thought I'll answer. And someone introduced themselves. It was obviously uh, some sort of cold general call, <laughs> cold general call. And they, they introduced us. Oh, hi, I'm calling from uh, Google Business. Just It's just a quality check um, call. And I have a G Suite. So I, I do use Google's mm -hmm. products. So I thought, okay, I'll listen. Yes. Um, I said, okay, nice. Uh, how can I help you? And he said, okay, um, blah, blah, blah. Can you just uh, pop over to your browser, either on your computer or on your mobile phone, and just Google your business name? I said, no, I can't do that right now. Oh, it'll only take a minute. No, I'm doing some very, <laughs> I'm doing some work I need to be doing. <laughs> oh, can I call you later then? In I said, yeah, you can try. And I thought I, I wanted to share this with you because one, I think the fact that I've been having all of these conversations <laughs> with you on the, on the show, Richard, has really got my mind to a point of hang on. What are you asking me to do? You're asking me to stop what I'm doing. It's going to take me somewhere else. I don't know where your action is going to take me to. Let's add the fact that I don't really know who it was. It could have been from, I think it was an optimization for your business to, so that when you Google the business name, it comes up nicely on the Google page. But it mm. could have been from something else. So I don't know. And I think it was just this assumption from someone calling you, interrupting you, not seeing what you're doing. 
and just asking you to drop everything for them. And mm. I think it's really interesting to have the mindset of, I know what I'm doing, this is what I need to be doing now. So no, that needs to wait. Uh, and of course, when it involves other people, it's more difficult. But it even took me a second to think, no, Pilar, just say no. <laughs> Move into later. And why was that? Why did you wait before saying because no? Because I think there is that thing that if someone is asking you to do something, my reaction, I, I'm, for example, I meet deadlines and I get through the work much faster if I'm working with someone else or if I'm doing it for someone else. It's one of my motivators. So it's that thing of, oh, I've got to disappoint this person or I've got saying no is never easy. It's a little bit, it, it might feel like conflict. Um, so I think there's that, that tendency, but it is a split second of no, actually in, in this case, I need to get on with my work. And that actually is not important. Um, so mm. yeah, I just thought I'd share that with uh, you and the listeners. It's it's one of hundreds of the same stories I've heard over the last few years where that is one of the difficult things to manage. You're in an open plan office and someone sidles up to your desks and asks, have you got five minutes? And it's really hard for some of us who, you know, want to get along with people and emphasize relationships to say, no, I don't have five minutes. But it's the better thing to do. It, you know, if you can manage that interaction well, or even better, signal to people, I'm you know, I'm, I'm focused on, on something else. So I heard, um, who told me this now? I can't remember because I'm <laughs> putting myself under pressure to remember live as it were. But someone told me that they put themselves in a meeting room and put in their calendar that everyone else can see, I'm focused on this task and I'll be back in an hour. And um, they said people respect that in their office. And then they know when they come back after an hour, they can then hammer them with their questions. But I think it is a, there's no easy answer to this, that we will be interrupted. On the one hand, it's about minimizing the interruptions that come from within. And then the technological ones we can somehow control. But the people ones, I think that's an ongoing challenge. And it requires us to maybe step out of our comfort zone and say no a bit more often. I mean, one mindset shift, if uh, this had been someone that I knew, is also thinking about the fact that you are actually going to improve that relationship if you are able to say uh, to, to, to say no to something when it's inconvenient. Because if not, you, you can start to be a little bit resentful. <laughs> you associate that person mm -hmm. with interruptions. So I think that might also help the fact that just delaying something with someone can actually be better for the relationship you know and, and if you can help them later rather than exactly. not at all that you know that that's better than not at all <laughs> from for most people unless they're able to signal it this is an emergency yeah. now this is the difference between being cold cold and, and someone that you work with who yeah. who does need your help although that was a neat little mm. um little example that, that many of us have a lot of the time um I wanted to confirm, because I did mention it last time, that the new Pillars of Productivity training page is live. So it is on the website. So everything we've been talking about for the last nine episodes, all of those principles to improve our, our productivity, it's at worklifesuck.com forward slash Pillars of Productivity, including the details of how you can access that training and a free download that just summarizes the, the, the principles, um, all eight of those. In well-being news, um, uh, this is all about me, actually. I was <laughs> no, thinking about this a lot. No, it was just about lot. me. Don't worry, Richard. <laughs> Second ago, it was about me. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, would, I, I took a break um, and uh, spent five days in Mallorca. And I had a great plan for what I was going to do while I was there. And then because of events, um, 
actually because of, we got an unexpected upgrade to probably the nicest hotel room <laughs> I've seen for quite some time. All my plans went out the window and I thought, you know what, I'm just going to relax on this deck. I've come for sunshine. I've not come for anything else. I didn't look at my to-do list. I didn't turn my Kindle on once. Uh, and in fact, at one point I caught myself saying, why am I listening to this <laughs> podcast when I don't want to hear anything? And turned it off. And normally I'm a bit of a podcast junkie. Um, I think that was the first time in a, in a long time that I had five days of almost being completely switched off. And it reminded me uh, of two things. One, that if you want to use holiday time to rest and to recover from the exertions of work, that takes time. So you're not going to necessarily recover if you are just as active on your holiday as you might be when you're uh, at work, whatever your job is. And um, the, the other thing was I was thinking about our episode about business travel um, mm. and all of the downsides that go with business travels, you know, the risk that we take, um, the changes to our exercise and our diet. And I was watching people. I watched myself too, watching people at breakfast time. And there was this amazing buffet in this hotel and people were attacking that buffet as if they'd not seen food before. And the first thing that occurred to me was, I wonder, do you eat like that at home? Yeah. You know, do you eat that much of those kinds of things? Or is it, I'm on holiday, it's a mindset change. And I have to admit that that was by the third day and it kind of ruined breakfast for me <laughs> because I kept thinking about, mm, would I have this at home? Oh, no. Would I have this much of this at home? Uh, but it's interesting because you can sort of lose the run of yourself when you're away from familiar surroundings. So I was very clear with myself. I was on holiday. It was not a business trip. And I gave myself license to relax and eat a little bit more. But that really has been drilled into me since we uh, we had that episode about focusing when I'm away for work, eating and drinking and behaving as if I'm at home and not on a holiday just because I'm away from home. Yeah. And uh, well, I would be disappointing you and listeners if I didn't refer listeners to episode 29, Surviving Business Thank Travel. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> um, <laughs> that is so important. And you, it takes a lot of effort also to plan a holiday from that point of view, because many of us can still do our job while away from the office. And of mm -hmm. course, a lot of the time we use the same devices for our uh, personal and professional life. And I find that I need to plan that I'm going to be on holiday, that I'm not going to do, I usually do some kind of work, but I decide what kind of work it will be. And everything else needs to be moved to one side. Um, and planning even to the point of, I need to uninstall this app from my phone. Or, Ooh. yeah. Nice. Yes, because if not, it's then it, you're just trying to to remove the friction to do what you want to do. But I think it, yes, I think a holiday. If you're taking a holiday, take a holiday, um, and yeah, I think. But or sorry, if you're going to go away, decide what it's going to be like and plan for that. Um, so mm. well, mm. No, I'm, I'm, I mean, I think holidays are really important, and I think it's really important to take time off. So I'm really glad you took all that time off. I don't know how you survived without opening the Kindle. For me, I read so much on holiday. I know, me too. <laughs> but it, I came home with you know 99% battery. Um, <laughs> I, it's never happened before, and so uh, I, I, it was just qu quite a quite a change. Um, so now I just need to stay in luxurious hotels everywhere <laughs> I go. It's easy. Oh, and get guaranteed sunshine. And Anyway, uh, enough about that. Um, it, it, a quick reminder as well, because I know um, 
we're getting closer to the date and, you know, a, a lot is going on in the background. Um, a reminder that the CIPD's Festival of Work is not that far away. It's taking place on the 12th and 13th of June. And a quick plug that I'm uh, taking part in a session on the Thursday, the 13th, which is all about uh, future skills in an age of automation. And what that means is I'm cynical about projections about the age of automation. But even if we can agree that the workplace will continue to change the way it's been changing over the last 10 years, even I'm arguing for the skills that I think are going to be important to help people cope with those changes. Um, I'm not advocating people re reskilling to learn how to fix robots as much as learning how to take the setbacks and the changes in their stride in a healthy and a sustainable way. So I've got a, a kind of micro presentation among a group of people, and then we're going to have a debate. So hopefully there's some disagreement and we can have a debate. Uh, and I'll put a link to the um, event uh, in the show notes. So uh, on to the main event for this episode. We're going to talk about, well, what is a coaching culture? And the reason that I thought it would be good to cover this off for this event, well, one, it's quite a change from what we've been talking about over the last nine episodes or so. Uh, but also it's come up in conversation quite a few times over the last few months with clients, with prospective clients, uh, those that are either working on a coaching culture or want to create a coaching culture. And of course, my first question would always be, what do you mean by a coaching culture? And of course, I, you know, you get a different answer uh, in almost every organization. It seems to be one of those aspirational things that people are expending energy and spending time and money on where, where maybe there isn't an agreed definition for what that is. But also without maybe a lot of thought as to how much effort <laughs> and how much time uh, will be required in order to get to the other end of this journey. So yeah, what is a coaching culture? From your perspective, Pilar, what, what, what would you say uh, is would be in an organization if it said it had a coaching culture. I've got an idea, but can I hear what the diverse answers are from other people? Because I'm really curious um, if you remember any mm -hmm. of them. Oh, yeah, absolutely. I mean, they, they run the gamut from, well, we want to offer coaching to people. Mm -hmm. So therefore, you have a coaching culture if people are getting coaching through to we want to um, improve the quality of the external coaches that we bring in. And so where we have a standard for them, that means we have a coaching culture. And I would suggest both of those things are ingredients and they're um, milestones along the journey, but they either separately or together don't encapsulate everything that a coaching culture is. And I think it's about people, you know, not, I'm not blaming, but it's a, a function of how the market works. They're looking at solutions mm -hmm. And buying solutions rather than thinking holistically in this organization, in this context, what might that look like? Yeah. So what comes to mind to me and, and how I think of a coaching culture is a place where people help other people develop themselves, where colleagues, managers, etc. help other people uh, discover their their potential, solve their own problems, come up with their own solutions. So rather than uh, the opposite of the coaching culture for me would be someone has a problem, they ask, how do I solve that? And they are told 
how to solve that. So that's, and the, so for me, a coaching culture would be the opposite of that. I ask, how can I solve this? Uh, and if uh, it's the right moment, I actually get someone who asks me, okay, let me ask you a few questions to help you come up with the answer. So that would, that for me is the thing that mostly comes to mind. Yeah, and I, I wouldn't agree with, uh, sorry, I wouldn't disagree <laughs> wouldn't with, with any anything. of that. Oh, it's a Freudian slip. Um, no, no, I, I, absolutely. I think uh, so much of that is really relevant to that. I think what's missing from most organizational approaches to a coaching culture is maybe a, a clear picture that's measurable of the end point of the journey. Without that, you don't know, are we there yet? It can either be, well, we tried some stuff and it didn't really take, or it can be, we always seem to be working on this and we're not, we don't seem to be making any progress. So I think these things need goals. They need um, uh, specificity. Mm. And, and then you can decide, how do we slice this pie? What are we going to do this year? What will we do next year? Because this represents change in the organization and therefore it needs to be treated like any other change process. Take it seriously or you'll underestimate the work, the time and the disruption potentially involved. And the one blind spot I, I see in most of the conversations I have, even very informal chats about coaching in the workplace, the people that want to introduce and create this coaching culture have a bit of a blind spot as to the stakeholders they should probably be involving. Because a coaching culture isn't owned by HR. It might be kickstarted by HR practitioners, but if you want to go all the way with this, you'll be in, in involving people across lots of different parts of the organization. And it, it might be better to start those conversations earlier rather than later. So some of the things um, that, um, one of the ways, <laughs> sorry, that we can look at this is to think about these questions. Um, you know, for a start, um, the extent to which coaching is done and is part of how things are done at the organization. So if culture is how we do things here, to what extent does coaching um, manifest in the organization? So who has access to it, for example? Is it for executives only? And if it is for executives only, is it for executives facing serious challenges? Or is it a standard... Um, development intervention for them to improve their leadership? Um, is it available to other people? And, and what um, steps might you need to go through to get access to it? And is it viewed as a developmental approach or a remedial approach? And I know over the years, we've many organizations, not everywhere, but many organizations have moved away from this sort of problem-focused coaching. We'll bring in a coach when it hits the fan, when this person is really badly behaved, when we've thought of everything else, we'll then say, well, you, you need a coach. Much more to actually to expedite these people's growth. Let's see if coaching could support that or um, making it available to a pool of people where their individual development needs can be met alongside something more standardized like like a development program. Yeah, I think that is a very key issue and, and it goes back to understanding what uh, coaching is for. And and going back to culture, also there might be that relationship. We might have had that um, remedial relationship with coaching before. And so looking at that, I can imagine could it's quite a transition because you almost have to prepare everyone to look at this in a different way from the start. And that's not the same as announcing we have a coaching <laughs> culture. 
And that's a pitfall, you know, announcing your end point at the、mm. very start when you haven't thought about all of the other bits and pieces that have to, you know, manifest and be done and be introduced, all the other changes.、Uh, you know, do you have people inter- inside the organization who have training in, in coaching? And is, is a coaching approach seen, seen as a, a legitimate management approach? Is it aspirational? But when the chips are down and we're all really busy, then a coaching approach goes out the window.、Um, is it recognized in how managers are promoted, how they're selected? Is it you know, reflected in the organizational values and, and how people might be selected from outside the organization? And if you are doing、um, training for your management and your leaders and, and everyone else you want to be a coach, you know, do you place.、Um, Emphasis on the quality and the evidence base for that training. Because if you want to introduce coaching into the organization, I would suggest it would be a good idea to see what is the best kind of coaching that we could have in this context rather than let's go to the training supplier we do for everything else or what is everybody else doing and, and get on yet another bandwagon. Yeah, let's have some coaching、and、training. <laughs> what does that mean? Full stop. <laughs> Well, I mean, it would be good to start with it because, you know, I've heard over the years everything from, well, coaching's just asking questions. That's not hard through to, well, you can't really be a coach till you've got 20 to 25 years under your belt as a manager. And I think both、mm-hmm. of those miss the point of coaching. And, and if you're going to introduce、um, external coaches, do you know why you're selecting them and how you're selecting them and what kind of standards are you looking for? And are you monitoring how well coaching is、uh, achieving its aims? And what kind of budget is being spent on coaching in the organization? And I know when you know, newly appointed senior HR or senior L&D people get into positions, it's often one of the questions they want to ask about where, where do we spend our money right now? What does that look like? And Coaching, that is often one of the hardest questions to answer because it's not being centrally organized, approved, and you know, pick up a rock and you'll find an executive coach,、uh, an expensive one. So there's an awful lot in there. I hope I'm making that point that you know, if, if you want to think about the extent to which coaching is part of how things are done, it could be part of almost every facet of the organization. And a coaching culture would be one where that's the norm. Coaching style is the norm. It's recognized, it's valued, it's part of training and development, it's part of selecting and promoting people, it's, it's recognized as having value、um, it authentically and not pushed to the side, where you've got leaders who are role models、um, for that, and where you're able to calculate ROI on coaching interventions that are from ex- you know, external coaches, but that it's just the norm. For how、uh, either problems are addressed or how day to day development takes place. So, in a sense, when it's at its most finished state, it's almost invisible、yeah. because coaching isn't a discrete activity then with a line item. It's this is how we do things here. So, hopefully, I'm making the point that it is quite a big undertaking. I think it brings, you need to ask so many questions at the beginning and you need to have so clear what you want because it's very easy to just go and grab something or to implement one aspect 
of what it of coaching, for example, only, uh, mm-hmm. or one aspect of distributing that coaching mentality, culture, practice. However, I mean, even even trying to figure out all these words are coming. Is it what practices do we need? <laughs> is it a question of mindset? Is it a question of interactions? There's so much in there. And I would argue all of it is contextual. Yes. For this organization <laughs> right now and with our strategy in mind, you know, where we want to get to, what's going to work here. Um, so, you know, having an off the shelf, we must have all of these things in place is not necessarily going to work. It needs to be sensitive to the context. But, but before all of that, I would argue we, you know, the practitioner, who's been tasked with this or the the management team looking at this need to ask the question, what is the problem we're trying to solve with the coaching culture? Because if you can't articulate that, and I've said it before, if you can't articulate the problem, why are you looking at solutions? If you have evidence, if you have, and I, you know, meet beyond marketing collateral, if you have evidence that the the problems you've identified could be coherently addressed by a coaching style and coaching interventions, then, then let's continue the conversation. Um, how is coaching going to make a difference? What's that mechanism that's going to help you in your context? And actually, beyond a few key phrases, how much do you really know about coaching as an activity? It's one of the challenges when people ask, does coaching work? I always say, well, what, what kind of coaching? That's like asking, does medicine yeah. work? We need to be much more specific because there's excellent evidence-based, high-quality, well-delivered ethical coaching. And then at the other end of the scale, well, you can picture what that's like. Um, oh, yes. And so we need to be, we need to be more specific uh, about that as well. Um, and of course, even if you've got this team that really want this to happen, you have to ask, is there an appetite for this kind of change in this organization right now? Might there be something we could more usefully be doing for our um, employees based on what we know about them and based on the direction this organization is going? Is there something else we could be doing that's a bit better? I love the word appetite. You say is there appetite for the kind of change because it, it sounds to me like it's something that you have to really want <laughs> uh, as an organization and of course that ripples down to individuals and also it also signals to me a long-term thing it's appetite it's something mm. that is going to be satisfied within time and i think that's a really good uh, phrase i think you hit the nail on the head it's not a short-term thing it will take time to go through all of these phases and so maybe an approach and i've advocated it in a few organizations is, is to consider these different phases as distinct projects and then you're able to take them on one project at a time you know introducing external coaches let's get that done let's talk about what that would look like in the organization maybe agree the standards and how we select them and how we approve them how we do matching with our with our employees and then because you want to do that you then have to answer lots of questions you can have the standards i mean you could use the standard of one of the external coaching bodies that's relatively easy but then you have to answer the question oh who gets coaching here and how do they get it what justification do they need or what kind of questions do we need to ask them so that whole thing prompts a lot of reflection even before you start telling everyone about an employee uh, about a coaching culture 
Um, and maybe the next step would be to upskill some people internally. And so that's a separate project. We're going to run some training. Well, hold on. Now, now we need to think about who do we want our internal coaches to be? Is our ethos all managers should be able to do this? Or do we want to have some internal experts that get a real deep dive experience of coaching uh, training? And I'm not saying one is better than the other, but it's better to talk it through and have a good rationale before you go in one direction and realize the other is more suitable for your organization. And of course, then further down, the, the the project list of projects you've got things like well how do we assess for coaching skills when hiring new managers or how do we make it part of our competency framework or when we're putting people on leadership development programs how do we ensure that we're able to polish their coaching skills as well as their strategic thinking and uh, good quality decision making all of that stuff so you're making it part of everything over time uh, and all the time reviewing its success and its impact and the ROI you're getting for these things. And that's the difference I would suggest between announcing we are going to have a coaching culture and then no one really seeing anything versus actually here's an initiative. Uh, we're going to bring in external coaches for this population, review how it works. But, you know, you're not making a commitment at that point to doing anything else. And you can treat that as a, a quite a discreet uh, project. I'm, I'm having this image <laughs> of uh, the one way of doing it would be, okay, we are putting this film over the organization, like the shield, which is our coaching culture, or actually we're just planting a seed and then we're going to start first here and the seed is going to branch out into this side of the organization and then we're going to touch at this, we're going to touch on this other side of the organization because you're describing something that it seems to me like any kind of... I'm going to go very uh, um, general now, but a kind of coaching culture is something that would start small and then start to spread and actually probably touch a lot more of the organization than what we initially thought. Mm -hmm. I would agree. And I think that's a, a, a nice image. Uh, in fact, I may steal it. So thank <laughs> you for that. Uh, but, you know, we, this is such a fundamental change or a set of changes. We need to uh, maybe be creative when, when talking about it. And um, those conversations are rarely comfortable, if I put it that way, because I end up pointing out things that haven't been thought of. And that's the value, you know, I'm supposed to add, but it often sounds like I'm talking myself out of helping them with this because, yeah, it'd be really easy. I could come in and do loads of coaching skills training for your managers, but how does that fit into the bigger picture? And is, is there something else that could be done first? Yeah. And how will you know if it's had an impact, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. So it's um, maybe a bit of a throwaway phrase, coaching culture, but I, want, I would really encourage people to think beyond that phrase and see what, what that could look like for them in their own context, in their own organization, before deciding that's what we're going to have. So um, that, oh, I hope that didn't sound too down, too no, negative. I think, uh, I'm trying to emphasize the positives. Well, there's a positives, but the positives are if we, if this is the right thing to do, as you said, if this is the right thing to do now, if this is what we really need, let's do it. 
let's have a good think about it and how we want to do. And it's so important that you go back to what do we mean by that? But I think the the point about is there something else that we should be doing is a really good one because we should always be asking that question with uh, any kind of interventions, especially at an organizational level. Uh, so I don't think it's negative. I think we're looking at an initiative and we need to really think about it rather than going, oh yeah, this is probably what we need because that, yeah, that's what we need. Well, why, mm, how and what? Mm. Rather than a snap decision, absolutely. And of course, you know, this isn't criticism of all of the talented and um, motivated people that aspired to a coaching culture and found that they didn't get there. That's because it's sometimes sold as a must-have quick win, as opposed to a really large undertaking uh, of organizational change and cultural change. So um, that's not a criticism of them, but maybe a reminder for everyone else. Let's try and avoid that by thinking of the end point and working back and asking more questions rather than um, simply buying solutions. I want to highlight the point. No. Sorry, sorry, Richard, before I forget. No, no, go ahead. I want to highlight the point about being creative around this. And one of the things that you've been saying, and I completely agree, is about maybe naming it differently because mm. of, uh, well, like you say, we think of coaching culture, different people think of different things. We have different experiences with the word coaching. We might even have different experiences with the word coach. And I think if we can name it something differently, then we can give also more ownership to the organization. So I think that's also something that could be interesting to think about. Definitely. And, and that's why I advocate discrete projects, mm. because then you can just focus on uh, an intervention that you can get your arms around and say, we did this, this successfully. You know, these are the successes and these are the learning points and we've delivered. If, if you say we're going to do this thing and it doesn't materialize, it can breed cynicism. Yeah. And then it's very hard to engage people in something that you really want to do because your, your average employee will go, oh, here we go. Another, another one of these things. Uh, why should I you know, go out of my comfort zone or why should I go in that training? I don't see the relevance. Or in terms of could we do something more important or more useful? Why, why do you want to have a coaching culture when it's actually not a very pleasant physical environment that we work in? Could we do something about that? Or it doesn't feel safe. When I, you know, walk into the office across the car park. So it, it could be a great thing to work towards, but there may be other things that need attention beforehand. So on that note, I'm going to wrap up our 40th. I'm going to call it the birthday episode because 40 is a big milestone for most people, isn't it? <laughs> it is actually because, but I hope it's not that it all goes downhill from here. <laughs> well, I... 40 is firmly in my rear view mirror, I can tell you. And uh, no, no, it, it doesn't go down. 40 is good. It doesn't. That. <laughs> look, uh, look at what I've done since I was 40. I've started this podcast. Yeah. There we go. So as ever, if we've said something that you agree with and you've got questions about, get in touch on Twitter or on uh, the contact page on worklifesite.com. If there's something that you really disagree with, if you're an HR or L&D practitioner who has, you think, successfully done what I'm saying is so difficult, I would love to hear from you because I'm not saying it's impossible. I've yet to see it myself. So if you're doing this, if you're working on this, if you've got great examples of a coaching culture, we would love to hear from you. It's mypocketpsych on Twitter or worklifepsych.com slash contacts on, uh, on the contact form. So Pilar, 
as ever, thank you so much uh, for remembering um, the <laughs> names and the numbers of our previous episodes. Uh, and as ever, for your company. Um, and to you listeners, thank you very much for tuning in for another episode. Uh, we look forward to sharing some time with you again soon. Thanks for listening. Bye-bye. Thanks for downloading this episode of My Pocket Psych. To get in touch with questions and feedback, you can tweet us at worklifepsych or leave us a message on the contact form at www.worklifepsych.com contact. Thanks for listening.